This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. All right, so if you want to turn to your Bibles, we're going to be back in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, verse 21, I believe. Let me know when y'all get there. As you turn to Hebrews eleven twenty one, you can also jam your finger into Genesis 48 because we'll be there a lot as well. And then when some of you are there, someone give me a shout, say a word or raise your hand or smile real big and I'll just kind of look over at you. Oh, Leighton's smiling real big. <laughs> okay. The verse, the verse is Hebrews eleven twenty one. 21. So, but before we get into the verse, I'd like to share with you a song that's near and dear to my heart um, by a great man named Rodney Atkins. Uh, sing along if you know. This one's called, yeah, funny. Yeah, this one's called, I've, I've Been Watching You. So he says, it's a little boy talking to his dad. He says, he said, I've been watching you, dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you and eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. We got cowboy boots and camo pants. Yeah, we're just alike. Hey, ain't we, Dad? I want to do everything you do. So I've been watching you. See, my main point tonight is that the faithful represent God well in life by following in his footsteps and by praising him for his promises and his help. Our first point for those of you who are taking notes is that Jacob, in our story, blessed his two grandsons. And then the second point, Jacob worshiped God. So if you're at Hebrews 11, we're going to read verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of, his, each of the sons of Joseph. That's his son. Bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Most of these verses in Hebrews 11 are not riveting. They don't seem like very impactful stories just yet and they can be difficult to wrap your mind around. But when you do, you see immense faith and you see the hand of God. So it's been a little while since we've heard from this character, Jacob. I think the last time that we talked about him was maybe a month and a half, two months ago. Um, He was the guy who stole his brother's birthright. He is the grandson of Abraham. So there's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Um, At this point in our story, we have reached the end of the book of Genesis. We started with Noah in chapter 6. Now we're all the way in uh, chapter 48. Um, We've we've reached the end of the story of Genesis, and we see that Jacob is, is no longer like this young cheater, this wicked dude. Um, He's gone through life and it's been painful and he's been weak, Um, but he's seen the hand of God throughout his life, sustaining him and making him strong, even though he was weak and and exalting him to a position of, um, and, and exalting him to a higher place, even though he was younger or smaller. See, we're at the end of his life, as a matter of fact. He is getting ready to die and all that is left for Jacob to do is to bless his 12 sons and entrust their care to God's hand before dying. The 12 sons represents God's, uh, represent, <clears throat> sorry, 
God's promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. They are the ones that would eventually become this nation that God promised. None of them lived long enough to see God establish this nation. None of the, the patriarchs, uh, none of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, but they lived by faith. Tonight, we will look at the faith of Jacob. So, to our first point. While dying, Jacob blessed his two grandsons. And back to Genesis now, we can go. Genesis 48. I'll give you a second to get there. And you can smile at me real big again once you do. So a little bit of, okay, we've got, we've got smiles, great. Keep your finger there. A little bit of backstory. Um, at this point in Jacob's life, he's had these 12 sons, you remember. One of them got sold by the others because they all hated him. His name was Joseph. He got sold into slavery. And in slavery, in Egypt, he rose among the ranks to a position of second in command. And he was head over, I guess you could call it the, the food department. Whenever a famine struck the land for seven years, he was there, having been wise, collecting food for the nation the seven years prior. And so all this food that they've been collecting, he was able to now feed his nation for the entirety of the famine and even feed the surrounding nations where the people who sold him live. So his family, who lived in another country, now come into Egypt looking for food and they meet back up and there's a reunion. We won't get into that, but while living in Egypt, Jacob's son Joseph had two sons. And Joseph takes these two sons to meet their grandfather Jacob before he passes away. We're gonna look at that story now. So you look at verse five of chapter 48. Here, Jacob is speaking and he says, and now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine. That's the two, the two sons. As Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers and their inheritance. Skip ahead to verse 11. And Israel, that's Jacob. Jacob has two names. Israel, Jacob. And Jacob said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left, Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right, and brought them near to him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands. For Manasseh was the firstborn. And he, said, and he blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them, let my name be carried on and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So Jacob, in this text, takes the two sons of Joseph and even though they are Joseph's sons, makes them his own. So these are not his children. He's adopted to become his children and he blesses them as if they are his children. But 
what's going on here? What's the purpose of all this? This is confusing. There's crossing of hands. It seems like the younger one is being exalted above the older one. This is strange. We've seen that before in Genesis. What's going on? First, we see Jacob blesses the younger above the older. See, Jacob blesses the younger son with his right hand and the older son with his left hand, thus giving the younger the greater blessing. There was significance with the right hand in that time. So this is, if it's ringing a bell, it's because this is exactly what happened back in Genesis 25 when God comes and prophesies over Jacob and his brother Esau and says that Jacob, the younger brother, will be greater than the older. Jacob is just trying to follow in God's footsteps. We see he's mimicking exactly what happened to him, the faithfulness that God showed him, the graciousness that God showed him, he's now seeking to exhibit See, he was exalted when he was younger. And throughout his life, even though he was constantly the weak one, he was constantly not a very large people compared to the circumstances around him or his neighbors surrounding him. He was exalted by God and made stronger constantly. Whether it was a battle, whether it was in his flocks, even if he was given weak sheep, they produced strong sheep. If he had small numbers in battle, somehow they had large outcomes and big victories. His blessing shows that he learned. That that deceiver from the youth has now become a faithful old man. His blessing shows that Jacob has faith because he looks to what God has done for him in the past and then he does the same. Second, we see Jacob adopts these two boys. Now there's, there's very big significance in this. So Joseph's two sons were half Egyptian. They were also not Jacob's direct sons. Again, Joseph's sons, not Jacob's sons. They wouldn't be blessed the same normally. So half Egyptian, not his sons. But why is it that he adopts these two boys? Because it, it foreshadows the plan of God for you and me. Because the plan of God in salvation is that all of the world would be accepted even though we were not sons of God. See, Joseph, Joseph throughout the, his story in Genesis is, um, is tied directly to Christ. He's you know, brought down to a low place and then he's exalted high above the entire nation where he reigns and rules and provides. And it's just like Christ. We're, we're supposed to read this story, look at Joseph, and then when we look at Jesus later, we say, hey, wait, similarities here. So Joseph represents Jesus. We and all those who are saved represent these two sons. And Jacob, the father, represents the father. Where Joseph, Jesus, comes forth presenting these boys. Jesus comes forth presenting us toward, to the father. And then graciously, he takes them in. He takes us in. Losing my place here. The Father graciously exalts, exalts us to a position of sonship and daughtership that we could have never earned, just like Jacob graciously elevates Ephraim and Manasseh to the honor of sonship. This is only so profound because the Old Testament is full of examples of God's selectiveness. Constantly, in the front half of the Bible, all you see is God picks one group and sticks with them. And he never moves on from them. This is, my, this is my people. It's just Israel. Everyone else is excluded. 
But this is the opposite. Like that, that is the opposite of inclusivity. But he chooses people for himself, lovingly never lets them go. No one would have ever guessed that any people other than those from Israel would have been called chosen by God. That's why this inclusion of the rest of the world or this inclusion of these two boys is a little bit rattling. It's called a mystery in the New Testament. If you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 3, we'll look at verse 4 through 6, and we'll investigate this mystery a little further. Ephesians chapter 3, 4 through 6. Give me a nice beaming smile when you get there. Dom, Laney, a couple more. Okay, there's some smiles. I'll give, okay, that's enough. Wonderful. Ephesians 3, 4 through 6. This is Paul speaking. He says, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The mystery of the gospel is that Christ is a door, Christ opens a door for all of the world to be called chosen by God should they put their faith in him. All those who would have faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord, regardless of where in the world they come from, can now be his. When Jacob included these two boys who were not his own and who were half Egyptian, he was doing what aligned with the character of God and with salvation. And not to mention prophecy. Because this family had been told from the beginning that through their descendants, the nations would be blessed. All the nations not just one nation. So this foreshadows that inclusivity. How faithful to foreshadow the character of God, the will of God. The highest calling and purpose of a Christian is to exhibit God's character and his will for salvation in your homes, in your schools, in your everyday life, at work. Anyone who claims the faith must be in pursuit of this. If you're still in Ephesians, we're going to turn the page to chapter 5, looking at verse 1 through 2. This backs me up. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved, uh, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. We are called explicitly to imitate God in our lives, which is exactly what Jacob was doing when he blessed these two boys. It's our job to make the gospel plain so that we can bring in those whom God has called and opened the door for. If we do that, then we will show ourselves to be faithful like Jacob was when he brought in his grandsons as his own sons. See, at camp this weekend, your eyes may have been opened to some things. You might feel it if you feel more on fire than you were before. But I want to warn you that the devil has, wants nothing more than to lull you back to sleep and make you ineffective and unprofitable servants. You've got to seek to do the will of God now while you feel awake, while you feel on fire. You're feeling good because you finally feel awake on your walk, but you have to take advantage of that momentum and truly use it. Go home tonight. 
Don't wait. Go home tonight, pick out habits that you will make and that will help you to start actually living faithful. Living for the glory of Christ. Study the word over the summer. So many of you, like I'm sure more of you than just a couple wanted to study the word of God more after learning about the sufficiency of the word of Christ, of the word of God. Do it. You've got to. Go home tonight and do it. Study the word of God over the summer while you have more free time. Stop making excuses for yourself. You'll say it's work. You'll say, oh, well, I've got this, uh, you know, they make us read over the summer. Can't read the Bible. No, don't make excuses for yourself. While you feel that fire now, while you feel that momentum now, jump on board, get in God's word. Don't let the adversary convince you to go back to sleep. I'm losing my place again. Here we go. Don't be tricked. Don't be robbed by the enemy. Go for it. How? How do you be faithful? How do you get into God's word? Well, to get encouragement, to get fired up, look at what Jacob did. Genesis 47, 28. So flip back, keep your finger there. Genesis 47, 28. I'll read it. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, when it was time for him to die, Jacob knew that he was going to die and he chose to use the rest of his time wisely. He wasn't willing to put anything off because he had a recognition of the brevity of the time that he had left. James 4 verse 14 says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Your life is short. You've got to recognize that it could end tonight, it could end tomorrow, it could end 60 years from now. But either way, it is nothing compared to whenever you wake up in eternity and look back at it. And realize that you wasted that speck of time that you had to be faithful to God before death. A big part of being faithful, of getting into the word, is recognizing that right now is the only time that you have to do it. And that right now is short. Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. I really hope you're keeping your finger in Ephesians because if not, this is, we're gonna be doing some back and forth. More big smiles as soon as you're there. I can't tell if you're smiling at me or just being goofy. I've got a couple smiles. Here we go. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 15 through 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms in hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We need to recognize that our days are short and that in the short time we have left, we must be diligent and stay off our phones. 
Don't be foolish, seeking your own pleasure. But like verse 19 through 21 says, we need to praise God. We need to give thanks. We need to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. We need to be wise, not unwise. We need to understand what the will of the Lord is. For us, it's obedience to the word. It's spreading the gospel. That's obedience to him. Jacob was faithful when he was dying. He used his time well, and he showed what he knew about God through what he did. We're gonna move on to our second point. And that is, while Jacob worshiped, sorry, while dying, Jacob worshiped God. While dying, Jacob worshiped God. I'll give you all a second to flip back to Genesis 47. I know we're doing a lot of flip-flop. Genesis 47. We'll be at the end of chapter 47 in verse 29 through 31. Big smiles when you get there. Genesis 47, 29 through 31. Get a couple of smiles. Here we go. Verse 29. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, that's Jacob, remember. When the time drew near that Jacob must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Jacob bowed himself upon the head of his bed. In this text, we see an interaction where Jacob makes his son Joseph promise not to bury him in Egypt, but to bury his bones back where his home was, back where his father's tomb was and his grandfather's tomb was. That tomb was still, if you remember from a few sermons back, that tomb was still the only piece of land that this family owned in the land that God had said would be theirs. God promised Abraham two things. He said, I would give, I'll give you a nation and I'll give you a land. And so far, like Abraham died having one son that God would fulfill the promise through and having bought a grave. His son inherited that same property, which is not much of an inheritance in terms of property, and had two sons. And those two sons wanted to kill each other. I believe that there's two ways that, that we see this faith expressed, Jacob's faith expressed. It's expressed in why he worships here and in how he worships here. So remember what I just said about this, this place where he wants to be buried in. It's the only piece of land that they have in connection with the entirety of the land that God promised to give them. This right here is the glimmer, the glimpse of what is to come. I'm losing my place left and right, guys. Thank you for being patient with me. The promise, the promise was passed down through these kids and none of them really got much of assurance other than this small piece of land. And you may be thinking that doesn't exactly explain why he worshiped God in faith. But just like his fathers, Jacob is dying again without much assurance. As a matter of fact, He's in a country nowhere near this land. Thousands of miles away. And 
this land that he's really hoping in is itty bitty compared to this land, compared to Egypt. Egypt was massive at the time. We see that as this man is dying, he doesn't despair, but hangs on to the little hope that he and his fathers ever had. And he asks his son, please, to bury him in that same little cemetery that his fathers had hoped in all of their lives as well. And when the son agrees to take him back to that land that God promised him and to bury him in that land, he worships. Jacob really believed that that tiny strip of land surrounded by four neighbors was a better home than the rich land of Egypt for his bones because he believed that God would make it greater than Egypt. His bones would only be able to rest in peace there in the promise of God. The fact that he wanted to be buried there shows his faith in God's promise because it wasn't that it was appealing that he wanted to be there. It wasn't that it was great. It wasn't a comfortable tomb. It was in the middle of a field. It was nothing but it was God's promise. Jacob did not want Egypt, even though it was rich and could provide for his family's needs after he was gone. He preferred what God promised, even if in the world's eyes it seemed smaller. Are we like Jacob? I don't think so. I'm not. How often do we try to take the reins on our life and steer ourselves to what seems more like it's gonna provide? to what seems more like it's going to be more pleasing? How often do we steer our lives in the opposite direction of God's will, in the opposite direction of godliness? Every time we gossip, every time we lie, every time we go to that web browser, anytime we sit in opposition of godliness, we are showing our lack of faith. We need to repent and then pray that God will make us more like Jacob. We need to pray that he will make us content even to die with what the world considers nothing but what God has given us as a marvelous promise. Jacob trusted that his son would bring him to rest in the place of God's promise. And that might not seem like something that we can relate to until you start to think about it. He trusted this old man at the end of his life trusts that this son will bring him to a place that he's only ever seen glimpses of in his life. Just like many of us Christians will get to the end of our life and trust that the Son, Christ, will bring us to the place that he promised us, the place that we have only ever seen glimpses of in this life. And he'll bring us to heaven. It's the, that's the promise that we look towards and it should make us rejoice. It should make us worship like it made Jacob worship. It should make us sing for joy and hope. Our praise ought to be empowered by the promises of God and the assurance of heaven at the end of our life, even if now in this life we don't have much assurance. We have enough. So why did Jacob worship? Because he had faith in the promises of God. And so they were his only rest. So that's why, and now let's look at how he worshiped. Because why he worshiped shows his faith just as much as how he worship shows his faith. Genesis 47, verse 31, if you're still there, says, then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. But if you're looking at Hebrews, it says that he was bowing in worship over the head of his staff. 
So is it bed or is it staff? We've got a little bit of a discrepancy here in the Bible. Uh, should we stop trusting the Bible? What's going on here? The differences in these two words in the original language are, are, are very subtle. So whenever they're you know, translating it from Hebrew to Greek, um, a couple of vowels would make it bed, a couple of vowels would make it staff. But I believe that it was left different intentionally because both communicate very important, um, communicate very importantly how he showed faith. So we'll look at the two of them. The position of bowed upon one's own bed shows complete vulnerability. It's as if Jacob was bowing down to say, okay, Lord, take me now. I know that I'm gonna be resting in the place that you have promised for me. And that's all I care about. I'm an old man. I'm face down on my bed. I'm ready to die. Because your promises are sufficient. And because what you have provided for me is sufficient. It's a posture of worship that is completely and utterly surrendered to God's will. That's one way of looking at it. And it's a good and true. And it shows us that the faithful get their fulfillment in life from God's promises and in death from God's promises. The other way of looking at it, which is just as good, is that he bowed in worship over his staff. So think about how easy it is to sit up in bed. And well, if, if you've been sleeping, it's a little difficult to sit up in bed. But the actual act of sitting up in bed is not too difficult, is it? At least not for us. If staff is the right interpretation, then this old man was incapable even of sitting up in bed without help. He was reliant upon external outside forces even to help him sit up. It's a picture of weakness. But also, he's praising. It's weakness in praise. It's reliance in praise. If it's true that he bowed over the head of his staff, then that means that he needed help even to sit up. If he worshiped over his staff, then he's worshiping, recognizing once again, after an entire life of recognizing his weakness and God's providence and God's power above his nothingness, still recognizing that it's God who's greater, it's God who's in control, and I've only ever been the weak one. But that just strengthens his praise. Recognition that it's not him, that it's always been God, the providence, the victories, it's always been God. So how did Jacob worship? He worshiped in reliance. He worshiped because he knew God's promise was good. It, um, it reminds me sort of, sort of, um, of elderly people who um, oftentimes need help, but oftentimes will not accept help. And it's sad to see pride in someone who is unable. Think of, think of the, the sadness of God whenever he sees those who are unable but are too prideful to accept help. Will you be like them? Will you stumble along the way too prideful to take God's help? 
Remember, remember our first point again. The faithful represent God by following his footsteps and praising him for his promises. It's crucial for us to understand that, that first of all, there, there is no option. When I say the faithful represent God by following his footsteps and praising him for his promises, this isn't something that some Christians do and they get to heaven and some Christians don't do and they get to heaven. Faith is a requirement. It's crucial for us to understand. There's no rain without clouds, no shadow without something in the way of the light. There's no salvation without faith, no faith without faithfulness. So we have to ask ourselves, how will we walk out faithfulness? What is it that we will do that will show our faithfulness? And the first thing we have to be faithful in doing is knowing God. It was, it was Jacob's knowledge of God throughout his life that empowered what he did. It's the only reason that he, he took those two boys before him and then blessed them as if they were his own sons. It's because he had seen God do it. He knows God. So how do we know God? What did we just learn was sufficient? Sufficient for knowing God, sufficient for godliness. Scripture, the word of God, exactly. So, if we're gonna call ourselves the faithful, then we must be in the word of God. It's sufficient to make us know him. Another great resource for learning about God and for knowing God um, are the books of those who have come before us who are wiser than us, who know God better than us because we're just, we're young. Um, one that I love, I'm, I'm getting to read it right now, is called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. If you wanna write that down, it's an amazing book. Knowing God by J.I. Packer. We've got to know God if we're gonna call ourselves faithful. Especially because when the world looks at us, the faithful ones, and we don't know God, well, then they're gonna say, well, you're just like me. So there's no reason for me to change. But moving on, Jacob, Jacob knew God, but beyond knowing God, he showed God. See, if you say that you know God, but you're unwilling to show God to the world, then you can't call yourself faithful to God. See, Jacob put God on display. He took the boys before him and he exalted them in the same way that God exalted him. It was gracious. It was beyond what he could earn. And he chose to do the same. Are you willing to put God on display? In your life, do you put God on display? Or do you put yourself on display? In the way you dress, in the way you walk, in the way you talk, in your interactions with your friends, in the stories that you tell, are you exalting yourself? Are you saying the things that make you look better? Or do the things that you say reflect a knowledge of God in your heart? Are you showing God because you know God? And then, I want you to remember lastly that from all of this that Jacob did, not just, he didn't just know God and show God, he also worshiped God. Your knowledge of God shows always, should, should always be put to use and to praise. When you know God, you show God, you exhibit him in your actions. But if that's where you stop and you're unwilling to praise God, well, 
What's it for? Your knowledge of God should always be put to use and to praise. God created us with a purpose. Our chief end in life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And praise is one way that we do both of those things. We glorify God in our praise and we enjoy his presence when we praise. So praise him for who he is. Do not be ashamed whenever you're sitting here next to your friends because their opinion of you when you're praising is not more valuable than the God that you're praising, the God that you know if you call yourself faithful, the God that you show is also gonna be the God that you're worshiping. So as you go in this journey of faith, get in your word every day. Stop, make time, focus. Because it's worth it. Because it's necessary. Because it's what the faith, it's what the faithful do. And once you've learned about God and the word and your faithful study, exhibit God in everything that you do. Reflect that knowledge outward. And then glorify God and praise God because he empowers you and because you know him well, because you love him. We must be faithful in these things or else there really isn't any faith in us. We must never forget that the faithful represent God by following his footsteps and praising him for his promises. Recap. Faithful Christians imitate the father. It's exactly what Jacob did. He said, I've been watching you, dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo, I wanna be like you. That has to be our attitude. You have to sit back and say, God, I just wanna be like you in my life. So I read the book, so I learn about you, and then I walk like you. The faithful represent God well in life by following in his footsteps, by praising him for his promises and his help. Jacob blessed his two grandsons in doing so, he foreshadowed the coming inclusion of the Gentiles, that's us, which we now enjoy. And he presented the same grace that he was given to the sons of Joseph. While dying, he worshiped God. And in doing so, he expressed belief in God's promises as well as reliance upon God. And we're gonna do the same thing. We're gonna exalt him, we're gonna glorify him, we're gonna walk like him because we're faithful. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your son. Lord, thank you that a door was opened to us. Thank you that you told us about it. God, throughout your word, it's there. God, that you made a way for us. Thank you, Lord, for including us. Thank you, Lord, for faith. Please strengthen our faith. God, strengthen us through your word. Make us more diligent to know you, to understand you. By your spirit, sanctify us. In your son's name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. And a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus.